radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 35, recorded on Friday, May 7th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we'll be discussing the modern white nationalist movement and why they seem to have a home in the GOP. But first, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. Up first in headlines, we have a COVID update for you. Let's start with the report that was just recently released stating that herd immunity is unlikely to be reached in the U.S. Great. Why? The two main factors are the slowing vaccination rates and the increase in variants that are more contagious. I mean, so we're at the point where at least half of adults in the United States have at least one COVID shot, which is still a good start. But now we're really reaching for the people who are now vaccine hesitant or just outright vaccine deniers in some way, shape or form. And it's not good. Early on, the estimates for reaching herd immunity were about 60 to 70 percent vaccination of the entire population. Now that number is estimated to be around 80 percent with the new virus variations that we're seeing pop up all over the world. And good luck with that. That growing number is also leading to more skepticism, hesitation, where people are saying, oh, see, you don't know, you keep changing the number. Well, there's good reason for that, but as with most things, you can cherry pick and say, well, you don't know anything because you keep updating your information as you get more evidence. Well, and here's the real problem with this too. Regardless of which way it goes when it comes to vaccinations, the anti-vax crowd or the, we'll say, vaccine-hesitant crowd as well, will always have a way to come out on top, if that makes sense. So if vaccines do really well, they'll say, well, then it should be fine that I don't get vaccinated. If they don't work well because they don't have enough people vaccinated, we can't reach herd immunity. They're going to say, well, vaccines don't work. So why would I get it? And it keeps going round and round until these people just, well, never realize that they're the cause of the entire problem. We're also seeing odd phenomenon where a lot of people are getting the first shot and then skipping the second shot. Yeah, just not getting it at all, right? Because there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there about people having adverse reactions to the second shot. Well, I just saw Candace Owens tweet today about how people need to speak up more at the fact that women's menstruation cycles are now supposedly being affected by the vaccine. It's probably because it's not actually happening. Well, she knows three. I'm sure she does. (laughs) God, this is insane. But we knew this was going to happen anyway back, you'll say, several months ago. We knew these people already existed. And the fact that people were so anti-mask and complete COVID deniers, we knew they weren't going to be like just vaccine acceptance immediately. This is nothing surprising. Well, in order to combat all of these anecdotes, well, I figured we could share our own anecdotes. We're both fully vaccinated now. We've both had two shots, uh, both Moderna, correct? Nope, I'm Pfizer. Oh, so we have two different data points. You had Pfizer, I had Moderna. I'm better. Well, (laughs) I mean, we won't talk about a part from the vaccine, but... But what were your, you were a little bit younger than me, your demographics generally prone to more extreme side effects. Sure. What was your experience? Well, without bragging, I am a young, healthy male. And according to reports, actually young, healthy people, like you said, Jason, are more prone to more severe side effects. 
So the first dose was totally fine for me. The second dose kicked my ass like nothing else. I was fine for like the first couple hours of my second shot and it put me down hard for the rest of the night. But then the next day I was kind of meh, not too great. And then by the day after I was fine, like nothing ever happened. So it was like a day bug almost. And I'm a little bit more middle-aged and I didn't really have any issues the first day after getting it. Uh, The next day I was a little bit more tired than normal, I would say. And a little bit, I had a little bit of nausea, like especially in the car, some kind of motion sickness, but it was very mild. Mm -hmm. Nothing that even prevented me from kind of just doing what I would normally do. And that was about it. The day after that, I was fine. I, I had a little bit of pain uh, in my left arm, the, the arm that I got the shot. But Yeah, soreness is to be expected. So, yeah. My arm was sore too. But otherwise, I wouldn't even say as much inconvenience as like a normal cold. It wasn't That's even good. that bad. That's really good. So for all those people that are so worried that you know they're going to have these really massive side effects from a second shot, I've not heard anyone really complaining beyond what I would consider to be a, a very short, like 24 hour cold. And here's where the danger of that really comes into play. I was talking to my barber about a week or two ago and vaccines came up where I think she bumped my mask off. And I said, no, oh, don't worry. I'm fully vaccinated. And she said, well, I'm still waiting to get my vaccine. And she talked to me about how she's a single mom and she's intentionally waiting to get the vaccine because she's worried what would happen to her and what was going to happen to her child. If something bad happened because of the vaccine. Now, like, She's not, at least from our, my short conversation with her, she wasn't a crazy anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist, but she was like legitimately nervous to get something because of what she's heard about this. So this is where the misinformation really does damage. This is where Candace Owens really does damage. <laughs> and she should be more concerned, especially someone who's in contact with the public every day for her job. She should be more worried about what would happen if she contracted COVID and had a serious outcome from that, what would happen to her kid? Well, and what the interesting thing about that is when you look at the research from social psychologists, there's actually a thing where we are biased to risk and risk-taking behavior. And that bias is a positive bias. So like, for example, you have to do something to take on the risk. So for example, in vaccines, you are doing something to take on the risk of whatever the vaccine could be regardless of how small it is, you're doing something to basically outside of your norm, which in our brains confirms some kind of weird risk that's going to happen as opposed to not doing anything at all, which will basically have us feeling like we're not doing anything that involves risk. Therefore, we feel safer because of that. So even though, like, for example, with this particular barber, she felt safer not getting the vaccine, even though you said she would be safer getting the vaccine, psychology actually shows that's a normal way of processing this information, which again, shows how much misinformation can hurt us. And finally, from the article, um, experts do say that they're coming to the conclusion that rather than making a long-term promised exit from the virus, the virus will most likely become a manageable threat that will continue to circulate in the United States for years to come, still causing hospitalizations and deaths, but in much smaller amounts, which basically means we are going to have to live with this because we're never going to reach proper herd immunity. So get your vaccine. It'll make everyone's life so much easier. And also, in a related story, new Education Secretary Miguel Cardona told MSNBC on Thursday he expects all schools to be open full-time, in-person, for all students by September. Which is unsurprising. I mean, were you expecting schools to close unless something crazy happened? Especially the way that is such a 
like a hot Stress button topic points, yeah. yeah for people that obviously you can't keep kids home indefinitely there's the issue of childcare and people having to go back to work and all that sort of thing well and we talked about in our previous episode how the students are actually suffering themselves like i'm talking like actually academically i'm sure they're right. suffering outside of that as well but socially certainly right exactly so i think this is a good thing i mean we again we're in a different set of the pandemic as opposed to where we were last year with school. I think with the vaccination rates still going up, even though we're not going to reach herd immunity, I think that's going to be a lot better than what it was before, especially now we're going to have more approved vaccines for children, I think, in the near future. If I remember correctly, I think Pfizer is getting approved for down to 12 years old. The FDA is preparing to authorize use of the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine in adolescents 12 to 15 years old by early next week, according to this New York Times article from May 3rd. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. So we're going to have more students vaccinated, which is going to be great. I'm just concerned about the anti-vax parents who are going to have their kids trying to get exempt from these vaccines, but cross that bridge when we get there, I guess. Yeah, vaccine exemptions, certainly a constant problem when you can be exempt for non-medical reasons. But that's certainly not unique to just the coronavirus vaccine. That's a an ongoing fight. At least all of the teachers and everyone else who works at the schools will have had the opportunity to get vaccinated before every school returns. So that's probably the best case scenario right now. Unless we do reach those herd immunity numbers, then we won't have to worry about it anymore. But probably, as we just said, will not happen. And this will be something like the flu, where we're constantly... And we're going to need boosters every year for this. And there'll always be this background kind of death toll that goes along with it, same as the flu. And we're always going to have to encourage people to get their yearly shot because not enough people are being responsible now to eradicate it. Unfortunate. We do have some more good news in our COVID update. Very surprisingly, President Biden changed his stance once again and again supports waiving COVID vaccine patents. Good. I'm guessing this is in response to like India's crisis right now. It seems to be in response to a lot of the pretty much internationally most countries pushing for this because they want to be able to manufacture their own vaccine and not have to compete with rich countries like the U.S. and Britain to try to secure enough supply. And that comes alongside this huge surge we're seeing in India, where they reported 412,262 new COVID-19 cases yesterday. Holy crap. Which was a new single-day record, according to a CNN tally compiled from figures released by the Indian Health Ministry. Total so far since the COVID outbreak began, authorities have identified 21 million 77,410 cases of coronavirus. In India. In India, which obviously we have more than that in the United States. I think we're over 35 million cases. And keep in mind, India has over a billion people. Right. We're not quite there. India also reported 3,980 COVID-related deaths yesterday, which was also a single-day record. It was also the ninth consecutive day that the number of fatalities identified in a 24-hour period exceeded 3,000. Their total deaths so far from COVID has reached over 230,000. Again, you know, USA number one. With double that. Oof. More than double that, actually. Definitely we're on the gold medal (laughs) on that podium 
Probably not for long, though. But this is where waving those pans are so important because, I mean, I remember reading about how multiple manufacturing companies in India, and I think in a couple other Eastern Asian countries, want to actually manufacture these things and have the capability of doing it. They just need the approval. That's it. And this is something that Biden promised while he was running. On camera, you can watch the video of it. Someone asks him point blank if he would push to rescind the patents for the vaccine. And he said unequivocally, yes. And then once he became president, he walked that back and said that, well, there's some manufacturing difficulties with the vaccine. And we don't really think that we can just open it up to anybody, which is, of course, just the garbage propaganda that the pharmaceutical companies have pushed out there because they want to continue to make billions and billions of dollars off of a global pandemic. But now, because of all of the pressure, Biden has had to walk that back. Not something that the other larger companies like Germany are rushing to support. Mm -hmm. They have outright said, Germany, uh, Angela Merkel has said that Germany won't support rescinding the patents did you say other large companies like Germany? Are you propagating the... <laughs> the com countries are companies thing again? Yeah. Come on, man. We told you pushing not to do that, this. Pushing for that agenda. <laughs> and, you know, no big surprise, Germany also has many large pharmaceutical companies like Bayer and BioNTech are also German companies. Mm -hmm. So they're looking out for their corporate interests. It's a very American way of thinking, I guess. But we have to actually handle these things in other countries that aren't the United States and, you know, we'll say Western Europe and all those others. We have to handle them in places like India and China and Africa and all those others, because if we don't, it's going to make things worse for us in the long run anyway. Let's not be short sighted here. Let's solve it for the entire freaking world and just make it better for everyone so we can all move on. I mean, we already talked about in other episodes about how the pandemic had just ravaged India's economy to a point of like, I think complete poverty for many, many millions of people. Let's make it better. Good Lord, come on. And these companies have already made billions of dollars. How much more do they have to make off of human suffering and death? Well, and on top of that, when Pfizer and Moderna are talking about, no, we have the capacity to make these vaccines, they talk about how, well, we don't have the capacity to make them right now, but we will in the future. If you don't have the capacity, then you don't get the freaking contract. It's a worldwide pandemic. Come on. And look, I understand there are actually global trade nuances and patent nuances that go into this. I understand this isn't just a black and white issue. But when we're in a once in a lifetime pandemic around the world, we have to keep people alive. End of story. Human life is worth more than profit. That is something that is controversial in the United States. I understand that. But it's the truth. And it's something that we should all work towards. It's something that should be a global standard. Totally agree. Coming back home, all eyes are actually on Liz Cheney. Again, did she do anything differently? No, but she's also a part of the Republican Party, which is absolutely crazy. So they want to remove her immediately. She is third in the hierarchy of House Republicans currently. I believe she's the chair of the House Committee for Republicans. Yes. And, you know, she voted to impeach Donald Trump, and she has said that the election was not fraudulent and that Joe Biden fairly beat Donald Trump in the presidential election, which has, of course, raised the ire of the Trumpian Republican Party. And rumor is that she will be removed from her position and likely replaced 
with Elise Stefanik. A super pro-Trump. The election was rigged. Trump won, even though she also... Well, and that's and that's kind of the weird thing about this whole situation. So this we already heard about this, you know, weeks ago and months ago, back when the insurrection happened in January sixth. But the reason why this is back in the headlines again is that Kevin McCarthy, who has you know the spine of a freaking weasel, was caught on a hot mic saying that he's absolutely done with Liz Cheney and he wants her gone. So then this pushed Republicans to push for her removal even further. I mean, you even saw other anti-Trump Republicans just get. So completely, you know, destroyed or booed. Uh, I know um, Mitt Romney Romney got booed in Utah for talking about his stuff with anti-Trump stuff. And what's weird about Elise Stefanik is she wasn't always a pro-Trumper. She was actually a very moderate person when she came into Congress a couple of years ago. And she just jumped hard on the Trump train and hasn't looked back. And it's working out for her. Well, it totally is, because actually when you look at her voting grades from like other conservative caucuses and we'll say like outside organizations, they rank her pretty poorly because Liz Cheney had a better voting record in um, as far as being conservative. Well, not just being with but in agreement with Donald Trump. Right. I think she voted with Donald Trump like 93 percent of the time where Stefanik only voted for him like I think it was like 50 to 70 percent of the time. It might have been even lower. I think it I may have been like 48 percent. Right. But the only reason why these people like her now is because she just jumped hard on the Trump train. That's it. There's no real policy agenda. There's no real rhetoric. She doesn't have experience. She's only 30 some years old. She's only been in Congress for only, I think, like two or three years now. It doesn't matter. She sends out spicy tweets. That's, That's it. what the GOP is about. She these owns days. the libs. And I think it goes to show when we talked about who's going to be running the Republican Party post-Trump presidency, it, the answer is still Donald Trump. Yep. Speaking of the orange turd, most of the headlines you'll see will say that Facebook's board upheld his ban on social well, on Facebook, but that's not exactly true. Their Supreme Court did. So their ruling, even though they didn't reinstate him. They actually call it a Supreme Court. It's pretty weird. And Mitch McConnell is trying to appoint uh, justices as we speak. But the ruling stated that within six months, Facebook must re-examine the arbitrary penalty it imposed on January 7th and decide the appropriate penalty. This penalty must be based on the gravity of the violation and the prospect of future harm. It must also be consistent with Facebook's rules for severe violations, which must, in turn, be clear, necessary, and proportionate. So basically what you're telling me is they just kicked the can down the road. They basically said that Facebook leadership has got to actually follow their own rules, make some clear rules, and, and that's it. be consistent. Uh, they also said, quote, It is not permissible for Facebook to keep a user off the platform for an undefined period with no criteria for when or whether the account will be restored. That's not exactly upholding the ban. That's basically saying they have six months to try to figure it out and to come up with some criteria for this situation. They also criticized the idea that Facebook leadership would put this ban in place and then try to make them decide what to do when that's, I guess, not really their role or at least not how they see their role. Well, again, this is the weirdest thing about this whole situation. So again, when I say that they consider themselves Facebook Supreme Court, like they literally call themselves this. And these are all rules that they imposed on themselves. These are not legal binding by any means. They're a private company. Yeah. Do whatever they Uh, want. These are only based on what the ethical standards of this company is doing. And the fact that Zuckerberg basically kicked it to this 
weird Supreme Court hoping that it'll they'll do something for him. And then their Supreme Court kicked it back to Zuckerberg. What are we even doing? What um, kind of structure is that? And it's being, like I said, it's being reported everywhere that, oh, they upheld the ban. Trump's going to be banned for life. Not really. When it's not the case. But you know who only reads headlines and doesn't read the article, Joe? Donald Trump. Oh, what'd he have to say? His response was, and I quote, what Facebook, Twitter, and Google, now keep in mind this is only relevant to Facebook, (laughs) not the other two. Good start. Have done is a total disgrace and embarrassment to our country. Random capitalization, you know it came from Trump. Free speech has been taken away from the President of the United States because the radical left lunatics are afraid of the truth, but the truth will come out anyway, bigger and stronger than ever before. I'm just so surprised he didn't capitalize truth. The people of our country will not stand for it. These corrupt social media companies must pay a political price and must never again be allowed to destroy and decimate our electoral process. What do you think Trump's... He still thinks he's the president. Well, right. But what what do you think Trump's process is for capitalizing words? Like, I'm trying to find over like the last <laughs> like year of reading his stuff, like what his actual process is. I don't understand it. I think it's words that he thinks are important. And those ones should well, be clear, capitalized. Clearly he thinks country should be capitalized. <laughs> Because he does it twice. People of our country, people is capitalized. Right, the people of our country will not stand for it. So people and country are capitalized. Radical left lunatics are capitalized. Like it's an actual organization. Right. Electoral process is capitalized. It's very, again, you you know it definitely came from Donald Trump. And it's not just (laughs) a Twitter format issue because he's not on Twitter anymore. But don't worry. You can still get your dose of Trump on his new... His social media platform that he promised he was going to launch. Which is? An old 90s style blog. <laughs> yep. It doesn't, it's not even interactive. Nope. <laughs> it's literally just like a blog page on like Donald Trump's website. That's all it is. It should have like old Angel Fire style <laughs> graphics and like a and hit counter. I had to read some of these and of course they're all just crazy scrogs of a lunatic. But my favorite part is that. Again, this is a blog. His posts are literally tweet size. So you see like a ton of little random posts and stuff, all like four sentences long. It's made for people to repost it on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, so, so I think that's why they're all tweet sized so that you can it's... share it to Twitter easily. You know, you say that. I just don't think he has the attention span for anything longer. For well, anything, I think those two bigger. things line up pretty well. Nah, I, you're giving too much credit. <laughs> And finally, in our headlines, there has been an international incident of the gravest proportions. Oh, you can totally handle this one. This is like a nothing story. Shut up! (laughs) Belgium annexed part of France's border. How do you feel about that, Jason? War is starting. Has France surrendered yet? (laughs) Ha ha! How's that for bringing back old stuff from the 90s? Take that, Trump. I can do it, too. Well, according to the BBC, a Belgian farmer accidentally moved a French border when trying to move a stone out of the way to get his tractor through. I, I just I wanted to end on a nice note tonight, Jason. So I, I had to pick this because I thought this was a nice story. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> For those of you who are listening, like he's just sitting there shaking his head like, why the hell am I doing this? And I'm someone who cares deeply about Belgian farmers. Because yeah. My favorite style of beer is a Belgian farmhouse ale. But I still can't care about this story. 
David Laveau was quoted in an interview saying that he made Belgium bigger and France smaller, and that's not a good idea, he told French TV on TF1. Tensions are high between France and Belgium, and they care deeply about this. Although the mayor of the French village that was attacked horribly and horrendously by this farmer said that we should be able to avoid a new border war, and he feels good about it. There were some darker undertones here where they talk about well if he doesn't move him back then we go kill him yeah then he could be subject to some sanctions and they would have to put together a border committee and all this stuff but whatever the guy just moved a stone out of the way because it was in his way (laughs) this is this is nothing hey according to reports he took almost like a thousand square feet of france (laughs) territory man it's pretty crazy can I just have like something nice to end on? Is that okay with you? Like, does every episode just have to be horrible, doom and gloom, and just full of hatred where we just want to kill ourselves? Yes. Yes. No, I don't want to do that. I want this is what I want our news to be like. I want nice, cute news in the United States. Not like, hey, we're gonna start World War Three any freaking minute now, or half our country's gonna kill us at because they're too stupid because they don't know how to get their vaccine. Are you done with your lighthearted <laughs> news? Yeah. Can we move on to the to our talking about racism and white nationalism (laughs) yes yes we can that was really a productive segment wasn't it it's hard to get any word in with this clown and on to our main topic of the day white nationalism and the gop so to quote fox news correspondent tucker carlson white nationalism let's be literal for a minute what is it exactly According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, white nationalist groups espouse white supremacist or white separatist ideologies, often focusing on the alleged inferiority of non-whites. Seems pretty self-explanatory if you ask me. They're generally the people that always talk about how Jews and minorities are trying to replace us. They're going to breed us out of our own country. They're the people that are always pushing for stronger immigration laws. They don't want minorities to be able to vote. They are the Republican Party, (laughs) and that's what we're here to talk about. But one thing we do have to clarify really quick, though, is when you think of white nationalists or think of white supremacist groups or just people who say white nationalism or white supremacy, usually conjure up images of like the KKK or neo-Nazis or anything like that with very explicit overtones of racist rhetoric. And what we need to understand here is you don't have to be a KKK member to espouse white nationalist or white supremacist rhetoric. And that's why we're going to really be focusing on in this segment, because I mean, like any other racist, all these Republican politicians and these conservatives will never admit that they are actually racist. Well, some might, depending on which one you ask. They'll usually give you some claptrap about, I just want to defend my country and my traditions and my Judeo-Christian Western civilization. Those are usually the buzzwords that you'll get from the, look, I'm not saying what Hitler did was right, but... And all that came into fruition several weeks ago when Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Paul Gosar introduced the... America First Caucus. Now, they since walked back that entire idea thanks to national backlash, but we thought it was still a good way to talk about how white nationalism is still prevalent in today's Republican Party. So let's talk about this America First Caucus and what they actually propose. And America First is a huge buzzword for these white supremacist groups. It's going to get worse from there. You will hear it all throughout every segment of Mm -hmm. this story. 
So to quote from their actual policy agenda, it is the firm belief of this caucus that American policymaking needs to go back to first principles, restore a long-term time horizon amongst our nation's leaders, and instill a greatly internalized sense of service to the American people on part of our elected leaders. Let's look at their platform on immigration. All right, cool. First quote from their immigration platform, America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. There it is. I'm really trying to hide the Judeo-Christian Western by just saying Anglo-Saxon. But, you know, they brought it back. It had been out of favor for a couple hundred years. Well, and this is the quote that really sparked the outrage, right? Because it's just... Racist. A racist dog whistle. <laughs> right. It's it's not even a racist dog whistle. It's just racist. <laughs> well, it's, it's not it, even a dog they whistle. They try to sneak by with the whole Anglo-Saxon. Like, uh, we don't people don't really use that term much anymore. Maybe we can sneak past with that rather than just saying white European. Good lord. They go on to say, history has shown that societal trust and political unity are threatened when foreign citizens are imported en masse into a country particularly without institutional support for assimilation and an expansive welfare state to bail them out should they fail to contribute positively to the country. It's a lot of what we talked about in our immigration episode, where this is the view of racists. All immigrants are here to just come in and get on welfare and just be a suck to society. They don't contribute anything. All they do is have babies and vote Democrat and leech on our traditional society well i'm not going to say the whole thing here but you know you get the idea the whole point of tribalism and america first saying they're coming to take our resources away from us they're going to mooch off of us the good citizens of this country with the real good culture i mean that's the whole idea of white nationalism my favorite cut from this is America's legal immigration system should be curtailed to those that can contribute, not only economically, but have demonstrated respect for this nation's culture and rule of law. Yeah, how would you do that? Well, they do have certain visas that you can only get if you have a million (laughs) dollars. And I'm guessing that's what they're pushing for, is only the rich people should be allowed to immigrate. You know, isn't that what the Statue of Liberty says? (laughs) But we should note here that when they're talking about culture, they have a very specific type of culture in mind. And that's incredibly different from what a lot of other people view Americans' culture as. Hell, I even saw on Fox News today that schools were supposed, it was like a headline or something like that, that schools were supposedly teaching kids to hate America. Well, how do you hate America when you have a culture that emphasizes criticizing America? It's what Donald Trump said over and over again. That's what the 1776 commission was all about. So a lot of this idea with white nationalism is they're going to try to preserve this type of culture that was from, you know, decades ago where racism was much more explicit and bring into a more, we'll say, nuanced, I don't even want to call it that, version today. But basically they just want to go back to the 1950s where they could just segregate from black people. And just teach history as the cartoon version, you know, George Washington chopped down the cherry tree couldn't tell a lie, that sort of nonsense that is not history, it's just propaganda, but that's what they want. So, like I said, Matt Gates was very proud to be part of Marjorie Taylor Greene's America First Caucus. He tweeted that extremely proudly with no set of remorse and all the things that he's going on right now. He's literally just trying to talk about anything <laughs> except the fact that he paid underage girls to have sex with him. Yeah. 
But unfortunately for Gates, which made things a little bit awkward for him, is that Marjorie Taylor Greene quickly tried to distance herself by blaming, quote, the liars and psychotic left-wing communists in the media. (laughs) And by claiming that the platform was a staff-level draft proposal from an outside group that I hadn't read. Well, she hadn't read. She'd been promoting it and literally wearing an American f- America First face mask Yep, and talking about it. Her staff was talking about it, about how they were going to launch this new caucus and how great it's going to be. But then once people actually read this document, we're like, wow, this is just the KKK. Yep. Then, of course, she had, oh, no, no, I didn't actually read this. This was proposed by an outside group, and I bet it had something to do with America First which we'll talk about later, but they're a white supremacist, white nationalist group that happens to have the same exact name. But this isn't anything weird or unique. This is the Republican Party today. This is what we have. You have a good chunk of Republicans who, first off, don't even think the election was legitimate. They also believe that they should completely block off any types of immigration because they hate brown people. It's the great replacement. Which we'll talk about as well. (laughs) So... How the hell did the Republican Party get this bad? How did they go from the party of Lincoln to the party of Donald Trump? Yeah. Well, to understand that, we have to go back to the mid-1800s, back when the Republican Party was actually the party of Lincoln. When the Republican Party initially formed, they stood against the expansion of slavery and Southern slaveholders. After the Civil War, Republicans pushed for protections of recently freed Black Americans in the South. When some of those Black men gained the right to vote, they predominantly voted Republican. The Democrats were the racists who wanted to keep slavery. They were the party of the South. Yep. However, in the 1870s, violent white nationalist groups like the KKK started to grow immensely and gain more political power. And after Northern troops left the states after the war, these groups pressured Southern Republicans to expel black leaders. So the Republican Party was the party of the North. Yes. And after the Civil War, that included a lot of big businesses. We're talking, you know, Gilded Age era, huge industry that was mainly in the North. That was the Republican Party. Ancient Amazon. And after the Great Depression, you had Democrat Theodore Roosevelt and the New Deal. And that's what started the Democratic Party shifting. And it put the Democratic Party kind of as an antithesis to the big corporation Republican Party. It made them the working man's party, basically. Correct. So that's what kind of started that whole flip was post Great Depression. You know, we should actually look out for all of the people. We need to rebuild our country. We can't just have low taxes and favor businesses and screw everybody else that is what became the republican party that's that's what they glommed onto and what they're still pushing today a hundred years later correct now let's fast forward to after world war ii the democratic party started embracing things like desegregation which infuriated southern democrats and this is because back in those times your actual geographical location mattered more to your politics than the ideology or the party that you identified as. So you had Republicans who are very conservative and very liberal. You had Democrats who are very conservative and very liberal. It just depended on where you lived in the country. So things like desegregation infuriated white Southern Democrats. And those white Southerners ultimately left the Democratic Party to form the state's rights Democratic Party, also known as the Dixiecrats. Um, Fun fact, their first candidate was Strom Thurmond. If you don't remember him from our filibuster episode, he's the guy who currently holds the longest record for a filibuster when he argued against Civil Rights Act of 1957. 
and then also switched to the Republican Party and served until he died in office at, I believe, 101 years old or 100, somewhere around there. Civil rights continued to be a controversial topic over the next decade, which further split Democrats and Republicans all throughout the country. So that brings us to the 1960s and what many now know as the Southern Strategy. In 1964, Republican nominee Barry Goldwater made a push for Southern Democrats in what was called Operation Dixie. Like Jason said, Strom Thurmond actually flipped to the Republican Party and started campaigning for Goldwater pretty hard. This strategy continued by Richard Nixon, building on racial resentment and fear of white Americans during the civil rights movement. Nixon rallied around fear of violent mobs and domestic terrorism when discussing civil rights protests. Oh, don't know what that's like. Well, and you'll hear a lot of like similar language to what we just heard a little bit ago, or from what you remember from what Trump said all those other crazy months ago. White House Chief of Staff H.R. Haldeman noted that Nixon, quote, emphasized that you have to face the fact that the whole problem is really the blacks. The key is to devise a system that recognizes this while not appearing to. So Nixon started using dog whistles such as law and order, states' rights, to appeal to voters with strong racist views. He eventually popularized the term silent majority in a TV address in 1969, saying, quote, And so tonight, to you, the great silent majority of my fellow Americans, I ask you for your support. It's not a very good Nixon impersonation, though. Do you have a good Nixon impersonation? You got to do the, the I'm Philly so tonight West. Yeah. To you, the silent majority. The, the werewolf. Jowls. Obviously, he's referring to the majority of white Americans who are fed up with the civil rights movement. These dog whistles continued through the Reagan administration, where Reagan's war on drugs ravaged minority communities. And all the way up until today, where you have Trump echoing the same exact racist rhetoric, like, for example, BLM is coming to your neighborhoods. Law and order. Law and order. That Nixon used back in the late 60s and early 70s. What about, that was a history lesson. What about racism and the GOP today? Sure, they're racist still today. Shocker, right? <laughs> oh, you're saying to me? No, I am not shocked at all. <laughs> I was just like, I don't, nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's no, I was, that was my shocked silence. So a lot of this resentment can also be traced back to Rush Limbaugh, the king of conservative commentary, who also has a Medal of Freedom. But he's also dead, thing. He is also dead. Because he perpetuated these stereotypes, not just of racists, but of anyone that disagreed with them, where it's, you know, black people, Hispanics, immigrants, gay people. Feminazis. Whatever it was. Just women in general. Well, let's specifically talk about race this time. There's We could probably do a whole episode on Rush Limbaugh. Even back in 2007, which is, not, again, not that far long ago, he aired the parody song Barack the Magic Negro Yikes. to make fun of then-Senator Barack Obama. Then during the Rush Limbaugh show in 2013, less than 10 years ago, he said, quote, if any race of people should not have guilt about slavery, it's Caucasians. The white race has probably had fewer slaves and for a briefer period of time than any other in the history of the world. Yay, defending slavery. <laughs> Just, There's your presidential medal of freedom. He was worse in the 90s, which is insane. Well, who is that's again, we're talking the past. Rush Limbaugh is dead. I hope to one day be able to dance on his grave. What about today? God, you're picky. Fine. So let's look at today. Well, as of right now, the current host of the highest rated cable news show in America is Tucker Carlson, a hardcore right wing commentator and conspiracy theorist. Also one of the biggest perpetuators of white supremacy talking points. And just for reference, he also averages over 4 million views a night. So 
when we talk about the fact that he perpetuates this stuff or that he's dangerous, remember, he's reaching millions and millions of Americans. Well, what are we talking about white nationalism with Tucker Carlson? Why do white nationalists love Tucker Carlson so much? Well, to really understand that, let's actually quote white nationalists. Derek Black is a former white nationalist and son of Don Black, who is the founder of the oldest neo-Nazi website, Stormfront. On the Van Jones show, Black said, quote, It's really, really alarming that my family watches Tucker Carlson's show once and then watches it on the replay because they feel that he is making the white nationalist talking points better than they have, and they're trying to get some tips on how to advance it. Members of Identity Europa praised Tucker Carlson for, quote, doing divine work that has done more for white supremacists than they could ever hope to do, while also crediting Carlson's rhetoric with moving the Overton window over. In fact, according to leaked messages and forums from this group, they suggest that staying within the limits of Carlson's rhetoric is the most effective way of reaching mainstream conservatives, calling it the edge of the acceptable, or literally, the Tucker mark, with one of them literally saying, luckily, it moves toward us every day. And I think this is a good point, Jason, to really talk about what the Overton window actually is and why we should care about it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So the Overton window is generally described as the window between left and right politically where things are acceptable to the mainstream public to discuss. So people like Joe Rogan and Sam Harris have made it acceptable to talk about IQ theory and the bell curve Mm -hmm. because they constantly popularize Douglas Murray, who is a hack and a racist. So they're moving the Overton window to the right by having a horrible racist like Douglas Murray and approaching it as rational scientific discourse, even though his theories have been debunked years ago. And the same thing, Tucker Carlson moves the window towards the white supremacist, moves it further to the right by saying things like Muslims are going to outbreed white people in the United States. We also, on the positive side, have someone like Bernie Sanders. I was just going to say him. Who would move the window to the left by advocating for socialist and democratic socialism, where that has become slightly more acceptable. And this is actually based all on psychological principles. So, for example, this is actually the perfect example of what's called social judgment theory. And what I mean by that is when we have any type of belief, we usually have some kind of space or acceptable area that we will actually move our position on. And then we have spaces outside of that where we'll just completely reject it outright. So for example, if I say, you know, hey, let's go be neo-Nazis, Jason, I'm sure you're going to probably say, what? What are we doing? (laughs) Damn it. Your probably first reaction is screw that. Why would you want to do that? Because that's outside of what your acceptable tolerance for any type of position may be. But this is where moving the Overton window comes into play because people are most persuaded when they're just outside of their comfort zone. So not going super crazy to the left or super crazy to the right, but just enough to make them feel a little bit outside of their comfort zone where they start to question their reality. So for example, Jason, I don't think you said this yet, but when people started talking about how they're left or they're liberals and the left left them, if that makes sense. Or they would usually use the name classical liberal, where they're still liberals, but they can't stand liberals anymore. And the idea is 
by talking about it from a liberal aspect, they're still staying within the range where it is somewhat acceptable, even though they're being critical of the person's actual belief. And then you keep doing that over and over and over again, you're eventually going to keep moving them farther and farther away from their original position, which is where you see people like Dave Rubin, who started out as a super liberal atheist, who is now a Trumpian Christian over the course of what, four years, five years? It's been about then now, yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that he's being paid to say those things by a far-right libertarian well, group. Sure, but I'm saying like he's probably moved people in the same way, though. Sure, he has certainly done a lot yeah. of damage, specifically in the atheist and skeptic community. Exactly. So we need to understand that when we're talking about white supremacist language and rhetoric, we're always talking about having them try to move the Overton window just a little bit to the right supremacist side. So be aware of that. You keep using those buzzwords and talking points, and you don't outright say, I'm Tucker Carlson, I hate minorities, but you say things like, we need to have tighter borders, we need to really crack down on immigration from certain countries. Well, and we'll get to that. So why exactly do white nationalists love Tucker Carlson so much? Well, like Derek Black said, he makes all their points better than they do. In a segment on immigration, Carlson said, quote, nice people, no one doubts that, but as an economic matter, this is insane. It's indefensible, so no one even tries to defend it. Instead, our leaders demand that you shut up and accept this. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our country poorer and dirtier and more divided. Dirtier. Define dirtier. Right. More brown. And you'll also hear this a lot with any conservative, but when called out for that same rhetoric... He accused the left of silencing him, which is a persecution complex. But even in a tweet last year, he said, quote, We have every right to fight to preserve our nation, heritage, and culture. When vandals like Tammy Duckworth and Ilhan Omar tell us that we're not allowed to question their patriotism as they scream about how horrible this country is, we have every right to laugh in their faces. In that same segment, he used the headline, quote, We have to fight to preserve our nation and heritage. Now compare that to the famous white supremacist slogan, the 14 words, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. So Jason, I'll ask you, how comparable do you think those two sayings are? Yeah, they're the same. They're the same underlying principle. We need to preserve our heritage. Fight for our culture. (laughs) Those are that's saying, hey, our heritage is under attack from outsiders. Who is he talking about? He's not talking about people coming here from England and France, where he came from. Well, he came here, I don't know, I I think he was made in a lab by (laughs) someone. That's why he was adopted, because he doesn't actually have a real mother. (laughs) Unfortunately, he got adopted by a billionaire. Yeah. Of the, what, frozen dinner? Swanson? Yeah, Swanson frozen TV dinners. He's He's just a rich trust fund baby, and he acts like... He's fighting for the working class. It's just completely ridiculous. Right. Well, and the hard part is it's not always meant to be as explicit. Look at his coverage of the Capitol riots compared to the riots during the BLM protest. When he's discussing the Capitol rioters, he said things like, there was a riot at the Capitol. Why did that happen? It wasn't because the last president told them so. You're hearing that now as if they're animals who take commands and do what they're told, but they're not animals. They're people. They're American citizens who can see what's happening and come to their own conclusions about it. That's what he said about the Capitol rioters. Very generous retelling of what happened there. Now compare that to the BLM protesters and how he described them. 
saying things like, people like this don't bother to work, they don't volunteer or pay taxes to help each other, they live for themselves, they're criminal mobs who destroy what the rest of us built, they don't contribute to the common good, they never have. They're not even people. Right, this is the actual degradation of entire groups of people. And unfortunately, sometimes it is that explicit. Even as late as last month, I'm going to make this very clear, last month he said this, Tucker endorsed the Great Replacement Theory espoused by white nationalists. On his show, Carlson said, and I, w- I just want to read this whole thing because I, Jesus Christ, I'm laughing because this is one of about 10 stories that I know you have covered where the government shows preference to people who have shown absolute contempt for our customs, our laws, our system itself, and they are being treated better than American citizens. Now, I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement. If you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. But they become hysterical because that's what's happening, actually. Let's just say it. It's true. And that is literally the same rhetoric espoused by Hitler during the rise of the National Socialist Party. That's the same thing you'll hear from the KKK. That's the same thing that was being chanted in the Charlottesville rally by those idiots carrying tiki torches. They will not replace us. That's what they were chanting. That is one overriding principle of white supremacy. It's that they're under attack. They're persecuted. They're going to be taking their rights away by the evil outsiders. And literally, they will be bred out of existence. The white race is in an existential crisis. That is, if you could pick one thing that characterizes white nationalism, it's that belief. But again, look at how he characterizes people from outside the country. Obedient voters from the third world. Again, compared to the literal capital rioters, where he said that they're not animals who do what they're told. They're actually people who make their own decisions. He considers people outside of their country less valued and less intelligent than white Americans do. And if you think he's just not understanding that he's doing white replacement theory or he's just maybe ignorant of the subject, you'd be wrong because he continues in that same exact quote. If you change the population, you dilute the political power of the people who live there. So every time they import a new voter, I become disenfranchised as a current voter. So I don't understand what we don't understand because, I mean, good Lord, everyone wants to make a racial issue out of it. Oh, you know, the white replacement theory? No, no, no. This is a voting rights question. I have less political power because they're importing a brand new electorate. Why should I sit back and take that? The power that I have as an American guaranteed by birth is one man, one vote, and they're diluting it. And what a bunch of garbage. Tucker Carlson, my political power is at risk. As a white American. because Who has the largest rated cable news show in America and literally could talk directly to the president for four years? I want to make that very clear, too. Like you said, this guy is the highest rated cable news show in America. He has more influence than almost any other person in the country. And he's complaining that immigrants are taking away his political power. So when you have the most watched conservative commentator consistently talking and espousing white nationalists and literal white nationalist talking points, what conclusion can you make other than white nationalism is entrenched in the GOP today? Enough. Dog Whistles and Overton Window, I want to talk about good old-fashioned open racists. All right. Well, I mean, 
How many can there be? <laughs> Let's oh, talk about. Oh dear God, there's so many. <laughs> I'm gonna try to go through these fast. It's gonna take a little bit, but these are all politicians that have run for office or are currently serving office as Republican. We'll start right here at home. Paul Nalen twice ran for representative in Wisconsin in Paul Ryan's old district. He is an anti-Semite and self-described pro-white candidate. Oh, really? A quote from him on Telegraph? I guess this is their Telegram, some conservative nonsense because they all get banned from Twitter. I've compiled a list of verified Twitter users who have attacked me in just the last month alone for my hashtag America First positions. There's that term again. Yep. Of those 81 people, 74 are Jews, while only oh, seven are non-Jews. Oh, my God. Right-wing pundits such as Laura Ingraham, Sean Hannity, Sarah Palin, Lou Dobbs, and Ann Coulter helped to promote Nalen's campaign by either endorsing him or giving him airtime. Jeez. Even got a shout-out from Donald Trump. When he was a presidential candidate. Moving on. You know, wait, hold on. This is not going to get any better. No, but like, okay, when you get criticism or like Twitter mentions or whatever from people, my first reaction is not, are they Jewish? (laughs) Well, you know, if that's what's most important to you. Oh, man. Next, Corey Stewart, who ran for Senate in Virginia, styled himself as a champion of the Confederacy and its statues. And as he puts it, taking back our heritage. Also, he's from Minnesota, so I don't know why he would be a champion of the Confederacy. They did just get like a white nationalist church up there. Well, there's a lot of weird, like Norse-styled stuff. Uh, they, Minnesota's weird too. <laughs> Arthur Jones garnered more than twenty thousand votes and won the Republican primary in the third congressional ah, district of Illinois. This is the neo-Nazi. Though I will say he was running unopposed. But yes, he is a legitimate Holocaust denier and neo-Nazi, like super old school, salutes, dresses in the uniform, the whole spiel. Uh, From his platform, all these black and Hispanic housing complexes are populated by thousands of these street gang thugs living in subsidized housing where they hide their guns and plan their killings. Now, okay, I want to make a comparison, though. How many conservatives do you know make that exact same talking point? Yeah, they're just not quite as open about... I'd say sometimes they are as almost as open. It's pretty darn close. I don't think they... I think they would just say housing complexes and not specifically black and Hispanic they would say, housing complexes. They would say urban. <laughs> urban. But yeah, this guy, Arthur Jones, I mean, certainly, and you'll see that with a lot of these people, he was denounced by the mainstream Republican Party. He was. But they still run as Republican. Yep, And they still get votes. They know that's their party. They're not going to run as a Democrat because that's the that's the liberals. They hate them. They like the platform of the Republican Party. They feel comfortable running as Republicans. Steve West, candidate for the Missouri House of Representatives, has made racist and anti-Semitic statements such as Hitler was right about what was taking place in Germany and who was behind it. His campaign slogan, this may sound familiar, America first. Make America great. Another common thread you'll see with a lot of these people, they're all huge Trump supporters, and they're also super Christians. So, you know, I'm just saying. Seth Grossman, currently running for Congress in New Jersey. I believe uh, voting just started there, early voting. 
The whole idea of diversity is a bunch of crap and un-American. Excuse for failure. Excuse for not getting training. Excuse for no discipline. And that is what is killing the African-American community. Oh, really? The idea that you can succeed without work, without achievement, just because you can say, well, my great-great-granddaddy was treated unfairly. I do not believe in that at all. Oh, boy. That is a current Republican currently running for office in New Jersey. His campaign slogan, the real Republican fighting woke Democrats. Again, finding being right at home. Yeah, no problem calling himself a Republican. The real Republican, though. He's fighting against Democrats who, you know, are not racist like he is. Not like those pansy rhinos like Liz Cheney. Russell Walker, Republican state House candidate in North Carolina's 48th district. He owns a website crammed with anti-Semitic and racist rants and littered with statements like, what is wrong with being a white supremacist? God is a racist and is a white supremacist. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Yeah, this one, this guy is pretty extreme. Someone or group has to be supreme, and that group is the whites of the world. Someone or something has to be inferior. In all history, in sub-Saharan Africa, no two-story building or a waterproof boat Ooh. was ever made. Wow. Completely untrue. Wow. And last, the Jews are not Semitic. They are satanic, <laughs> as they all descend from Satan. What? You know, just just hitting on all the different groups there, you know, just. Oh. So again, very Christian, very racist, very Republican. Uh, next, we hit Patrick Little, who ran for Senate in California. He is an anti-Semite who got the endorsement of former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke publicly praised Hitler and blamed losing the primary on Jewish elites. Okay, but here's the trend I'm seeing, though, with all these people, Jason. They ran as a Republican, but they didn't win. Right, so let's get to some people that are uh, currently in office, or at least held office very recently. This one may surprise a lot of people. Will it? <laughs> Ron DeSantis, current oh, governor of boy. Florida. And a highly prominent future presidential candidate, I guess. And he's going to take down a lot of people with him here. Moderated a Facebook group that frequently trafficked in white nationalist and other racist content, along with Virginia Senate nominee Corey Stewart, who we mentioned earlier, Nevada congressional candidate Danny Tarkanian, West Virginia senatorial candidate and attorney general Patrick Morrissey, current Montana representative Matt Rosendale, and would-be action movie star and cyclopic representative from Texas, Dan Crenshaw. Of course. All of them quit the group after reports of their involvement came out. Oh, great. In case that's not enough for you for Ron DeSantis, he also spoke at four racially charged conferences held by the anti-immigrant David Horowitz Freedom Center. The organizer of these events previously had said America's only serious race war is against white people. Oh, boy. (laughs) And that's something that you'll hear from even moderate Republicans all the time, is that, oh, the real oppressed minority in this country is whites. Fun fact, majority, at least according to recent polls, majority Republicans still feel like whites are the most oppressed demographic group in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not uh, a controversial subject. Nope. DeSantis also spoke at a conference organized by the Islamophobic group Act for America. We move to one that I think a lot of people are familiar with. (laughs) Steve King, former 
Iowa representative from yeah. 2003 until 2021. So only until January of this year. I love all these quotes. 18 years he was a representative and defended heartily by the Republican Party. Here we go. These are bad, but and there's a lot of them. But let's yeah, let's do this. I'm ready. White nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? <laughs> Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Oh, no. <laughs> Talking about DACA recipients. For every young immigrant who becomes a school valedictorian, there are 100 out there that they weigh 130 pounds and they've got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. <laughs> so 1% of DACA recipients are school valedictorians, 99 or 99.1% are drug mules. Yep. When asked about the lack of diversity... With at great the, legs, by the way, though. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> they have great legs. They don't skip leg day. When asked about the lack of diversity at the RNC, I'd ask you to go back through the history and figure out where are these contributions that have been made by these other categories of people that you're talking about? Where did any other subgroup of people contribute more to civilization? Oh, I think that was on live TV, too, if I remember correctly. He also displayed a Confederate flag on his office desk during an interview with Sioux City television station KCAU in July of 2016. Remember, he's from Iowa. Who was definitely part of the union. Yep. Uh, next quote. We can't restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. That is from a tweet that he sent out. All right. Uh, also uh, from a tweet. Cultural suicide by demographic transformation must end. And there's the preserving culture again. Yeah, those are both definite replacement theory yeah. quotes. Now, remember, as we said, Steve King was defended by current Republican oh, yeah. members and leaderships over and over and over again. Most of these quotes are from around 2016, 2017. He was still in office yep. and still got elected multiple times after this. He ultimately lost all of his committee memberships. And the support of the Republican Party when it became obvious that he was going to be vulnerable to a Democratic challenger in Iowa. Yep. Because the entire country was understanding how horribly racist he was. One of my favorite stories about Steve King was when he was in a hearing, like as part of like the tech committee, which he should have not been on, with I think it was Google's CEO if I remember correctly. And another Republican had to ask the Google CEO saying, so when I type into Google Steve King, a bunch of stories about how Steve King is racist comes up. Can you tell me why that is and why your site's not biased against Steve King? It's because of all the things we just went over. Right. And then just watching the CEO just go, ah, because that's what it is, man. <laughs> but yeah, full support of the Republican Party, even after he said all this stuff. The only time he lost support is when they were worried that they might lose his seat to a Democrat. Correct. Next, let's go to current House representative from Arizona since 2011, Paul Gosar. Who worked with Margie Tara Green to do the America First Caucus. He was a keynote speaker at the America First Political Action Conference, an event organized by young white nationalists and leader of the Groiper Movement. I just learned about that this week. Oh. We're going to have to talk about them at so, some point. So this is why you brought up Nick Fuentes. Nick okay. Fuentes. Great. 
who is a terrible person yeah. and one of the worst influences on young Americans in the country right now. And like literal white nationalist. Yeah, I mean, unapologetic white Christian nationalist. I don't, he's not on YouTube, I don't think. I, he got banned from YouTube. Yeah, so is he on his own website then? Rumble probably or something? I, I don't care to tell anyone good, if he was. That's actually a good point. Gosar attended the America First Political Action Conference instead of voting on the American Rescue Plan. In his keynote speech, Gosar rallied against the deep state talked about the importance of building an impenetrable wall along America's southern border and how cancel culture is a greater concern than the climate crisis. We should also talk about how Deep State a lot of the time usually references Jews and Jewish people. Also, yes, a buzzword for the Illuminati, the Jews that run everything. The cabal. When ghosts are finished... The event concluded with a 67-minute speech by Fuentes, the conference organizer, who called the January 6th riots awesome and demanded elected leaders like Gosar enact protections for the country's white demographic core. Oh, dear. And just for fun, (laughs) Steve King also was a speaker at the conference. Oh, of course. Gosar has been called a white supremacist by his own siblings. That's cool. Who also advocated for his opponent during his latest election. You know you have to be a piece of garbage for your own siblings to try to get people to vote for someone else. Yeah. He has also attended and spoke at a rally in London to support jailed far-right extremist Tommy Robinson who has seeked to ban Muslim immigration and stop the construction of mosques in Britain. During that rally, speaking to a cheering crowd, Gosar also condemned disgusting and depraved individuals from Muslim immigrant communities who he said carry out widespread sexual abuse. We know these men come from commonly Pakistani, Bangladeshi, and Muslim backgrounds. Do you really want to talk about religion and sexual abuse, Paul Gosar? (laughs) Do you really want to talk about that? Because we can talk about that. I'd be very happy to. And you see that a lot with these same people. They are very quick to criticize Islam and generalize it while being super hardcore Christians who never talk about all of the history of war and abuse and violence and death. And history, nothing. How about the fact that it happened like two days ago? For goodness sakes. I mean, it happens now and they don't care. To them, Christianity is pure and... White. Correct. Weirdly enough. Yeah, even though it also comes from the Middle East. Right. And I do want to say, I could have kept going. I got You chose not to. (laughs) Like literally a half hour before we started recording and I had to stop. I could have... I mean, we didn't even bring up Donald Trump, who obviously we know... The history and how he speaks to the exact same racist points and how he said that the Charlottesville rally, there were, you know, good people on both sides, even though you had literal neo-Nazis on one side. We could have a whole podcast based on the crazy racist things Trump has said. We kind of do, or at least we did. (laughs) (laughs) But I had to and that's not even getting into all like people that are connected to all of these politicians. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're. Staff members was like Stephen Miller and all. Yeah, those Stephen other. Miller Steve was Bannon. a big one that I ignored. Uh, yeah, and Steve Bannon, who was endorsed most of these people on this list. Mm-hmm. Hell, we didn't even bring up Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right, 
because she was part of the America First thing. Didn't want to double do it. Yeah, she, I mean, you can definitely add her to this list of openly racist Republicans. Uh, She's, just look up some of the things she said about Muslims. There's, There's no doubt that she deserves to be here as well. So what are our final takeaways here with all this? We have to recognize that the Republican Party and conservative news outlets today, at least as it stands right now, are pushing white supremacist and white nationalist narratives. And we talked about all the things that you can look out for, like the West preserving our culture and heritage, using language like the silent majority, using vague tribalistic language like they and they're coming for us and our religions, our customs, our rule of law and order, whatever it may be. Our freedom. Our freedom. So be on the lookout when people use these things because they're actually pushing literal white nationalist rhetoric. We also have to recognize that the tactics that are being used now have been used for decades. Like I said before, the things that people are saying now are the exact same things people said back in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, when the civil rights movements were happening. So be aware that history does repeat itself or history hasn't changed as much as we like to think it has. And then finally, we have to be aware of those who attempt to slip extremist ideas into the conversation under the guise of free speech or just asking questions, further moving the Overton window over towards more accepting of white nationalist talking points. Because if we're not on the lookout for these types of things, they're going to keep doing it because it's been working for the last five years now and it's going to keep getting worse if we don't call it out immediately and put a stop to it. We like to think that everything is equal. Oh, you got two, we're in a two-party system. Oh, there's equal corruption on both sides. They're just as bad. And a lot of times I tend to be a little bit more left and you hear that too from the extreme left where they kind of demonize liberals and Democrats the same as Republicans. But when you look at this kind of hate and really an attempt to dehumanize everyone who is not of European descent, white European descent even, you don't see that on the Democrat side. You can certainly disagree on a lot of policy, and we do, but those are policy differences. Those are things that you can talk about and... Not degrade an entire group of people? It's, it's not the same thing as what we're talking about here today. And saying that we need to defend our culture against outside invaders who are less than human. That's not something that should be given any kind of respect or tolerance. And that is increasingly becoming the platform of the Republican Party. That's all they have now. They are the party of white nationalism and conspiracy theories and Christian extremism. And the riots on January 6th at the Capitol show that. There was a vast majority white Christian conservative crowd that was looking to kill members of Congress because they felt like their political voice was under threat and being stolen by minorities and people outside of the country. And that's what this type of rhetoric that you're seeing from the right breathes. And it's un-American. We are a nation of immigrants. Diversity is a strength of ours, not a weakness. So embrace it and keep pushing for more diversity, keep pushing for more civil rights, and let's actually make our country better. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively.
where I was talking about a week or two ago to my hairstylist while I was getting my hair done. Hairstylist. Shut up. My barber. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> Fine. I'll redo it. Hey, I almost included another story from today about how there's a new conspiracy theory out of Arizona. Did you hear about this? No. Apparently, the group now thinks that the ballots in Arizona and Mar- Maricopa County, yeah. in Maricopa County, at least 40,000 of them have traces of bamboo in their paper Ugh. because they came from China. Because they came from China, of course. <laughs> That's how they make paper. <laughs> so, that, so now Christ. they're looking at bamboo. <laughs> Well, that would have been actually something to put in, but it's too late now. But <laughs> the recount in Arizona, but whatever. Yeah. No, we had to put the farmer. We can nix that story if you want. It's fine. <laughs> it's in there now. Take away my happiness. Just gut it all. Just rip the Band-Aid off. There's no joy in the world anymore. I just spent four hours looking through lists of racist Republican politicians. You're not in the best mindset for no, joy. No, no. All right, let's do this. That was bad. I didn't like any of that.